Praise the Lord. Amen. We have something very strategic to share together tonight, and I'm going to pray. Father, let understanding come as your word is shared tonight. Spirit of the living God, you are the writer of this word. We are here to announce and to proclaim what you've already done. Open our understanding. Thank you, Father, tonight. In Jesus' name. Tonight, I'm going to be speaking with us on what I call the power of a higher law. The power of a higher law. The power of a higher law. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the scripture declares to us, that our experience in verse 17 was not ordinary. The scripture says to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Hold things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This is my discovery of the God that we serve. God creates the future and puts it in the today. Everything that God accomplished is done in a seed form. Our experience in the kingdom of God was not done in part. It was done in whole. The package of salvation and redemption was a total package. The purpose of salvation and redemption was not for us to become church members. But it's for us to understand that there is a divine program of God that must be understood by every man. Our understanding of the program of God and connecting ourselves with the program of God brings liberation into our lives. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, the Bible says, If anyone, regardless of creed, status, or class, is in Christ, what things have passed away. This knowledge we struggle with every day because sometimes our experiences do not match up with what we have read. Because many believers wonder sometimes, has the whole really passed away? Particularly with the struggle that we have had to face on a daily basis to stand in the place of righteousness. I'm glad to announce to us tonight as a church, if you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the whole 
is past. <laughs> it is truly past. When Jesus went to the cross and he hung on that cross, the prize for your sin and for my sin was totally paid. Your sin could not undermine the power of what was accomplished on the cross. And the Lord, being divine, wanted us to see this from the very first day that a man who had been sentenced to die on the cross alongside with Jesus will experience a true transformation not 2,000 years after, but at the very moment that Jesus was on the cross. The Bible says one of the things that was on the cross with him said, we are suffering for the sins that we have committed, but this man has not done anything to deserve what is being done to him. And Jesus says, today you will meet me in paradise. That is the power that is in the salvation that you and I have received. It became effective the very moment Jesus gave up the ghost. How will God open the gates of heaven to a man who we did not have record of exactly what he did, but the Bible calls him a robber? Most probably he had killed. Most probably he has harassed and messed many lives up. But the Bible says at the moment of repentance, there was a complete transformation from death unto life. And not just life, it is life eternal. I know that as believers, we're confident in certain areas of our lives. But one of the greatest attack on the body of Christ today has been an attack on our right standing with God. Sin has made many of us cowards. Sin has illegitimized our relationship that was vary with God. Many of us have lost control over our spiritual experience with God because we thought we have not measured up for what God has purchased for us or what Christ has done on the, cro on the cross. Listen to me today. The greatest message that we ever preached by anyone is to declare to the world that Christ died for our sins and he rose again on the third day for our victory. The Bible says, death where is thy power? Grave where is thy sting? For death is swallowed up in victory. What a great privilege. Death is swallowed up in victory. I stand before God today righteous, not because of myself, but because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross of Calvary. 
And tonight, I want to examine that there are laws in the natural that are binding on certain realms of life. All of us remember the laws of gravity, even when you have not taken physics in years. You remember the law of gravity. That whatever goes up of a necessity must come down. Is that true? If we don't believe that, and then we do, because many of us are afraid to try to jump into the heights. Whatever goes up does what? Most of the necessity come down. We all understand that the violation of these laws equally will have far-reaching consequences on our lives. Is that true? If a man violates the law of gravity, he throws himself up, or jumps from the sky, you know what it means, without a parachute. It's coming down. That's where it's coming. There is a force as part of the natural law instituted by God. The law of gravity was not instituted by scientists. It's been there. It's a natural law. It has no, the scientists only discovered that it exists. It's always been there. It was part of the creation of God. Because the only thing that's expected to go in the hair are birds. You're not supposed to be in the hair. Because the birds have the capacity to go up and remain up. Now, it is the same sense and mentality that drew the brothers, two brothers, to create what you call an aircraft. They investigated and explored the Lord that could take the birds to the hair and maintain their stay in the hair. If we could understand it, the man can be in the hair. And then that came what we call the law of aerodynamics. Is that true, everybody? At least we have little understanding about that. Now, I want us to see this tonight because I want to bring this out. Even in the scriptures, we've seen occasions when people were told to violate the laws of gravity. Do you remember what the devil did to Jesus? He said to Jesus, the Bible said he took him to the pinnacle of the house and said, you can jump down for the scripture says that God shall give his angels charge over you. Jesus said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. What are you talking about? The mere fact that I'm the son of God and have authority in heaven and on earth does not mean I will violate the natural law. How do I jump from there? What is the meaning of that? And I've seen believers in many years, I'll tell, tell us my experience, even in the mission feed, there are many times that certain men of diabolical intentions would tell believers to do the ridiculous. Because they wanted to prove if indeed your God is powerful, then do what no other man can do. That's not right. Jesus did not violate that law. Jesus said, I don't need to jump from the pinnacle. Now, what am I saying tonight? The law of aerodynamics somehow has undermined the power of the law of gravity. That something can go up and stay up. In the same way, I want us to understand tonight that there are laws in the scriptures. God instituted relationship with Israel and gave them laws. 
laws are not bad. In fact, the Bible says laws are a schoolmaster. To have laws as a schoolmaster is for us to have trainers. So laws are good in themselves. In fact, Paul attested to the fact in the book of Romans, he says, law is good, but I am evil. I'm bad. <laughs> but law is good. So law itself, or the laws, were not bad. Because the laws, if you read through all the laws, the laws were instituted by God to maintain boundaries and to maintain rules and regulations among men so that there will be peace, there will be governance, there will be sensibility. Where there is no law, there is no sin. Sin was not imputed until law came. But Paul helped us to see that the law was not instituted to destroy man. Law was instituted for man to have control. Whatever you do in your life without control is a mission to disaster. Is that not true? Even in our day-to-day -day living, there is a place for control. Let me give you an example that will be very interesting to us. Do you know, my brother never knew that before, marriage keeps you in control. <laughs> when I go out of the house, I watch my phone all the time because somebody's going to call me, where are you? We discussed where I was going before I left the house. But I have still have to explain in detail where am I, what I'm doing, where I am, how long I'm going to spend there, and when I'll be on my way back. But I remembered a few years back <laughs> that when I go out, it is when I return. Nobody acts after me. I, I went wherever I went, wanted to go, but that was also a dangerous life. Now, I have to think properly before I present my matter, before I go out. So when I'm going out, my schedule is well, well laid out. Otherwise, I'm going to be queried on where am I or where I am. When I say queried, not in the negative. My wife is looking as if I'm talking in the negative. No, I'm talking in the positive. I'm talking about the fact that our lives need to have boundaries. Boundaries are good. Ever say boundaries are good? Boundaries are good. Is to have boundaries. Maybe my brother will understand too. He will smile and say, well, keep quiet. Don't say this. But it's the truth. Now, the laws were given to create boundaries in our lives. But after the law, many could not withstand the standard of the law. And many of those men violated the laws of God. Now, the reason why I'm teaching this, and I want us to understand, because I've seen believers asking, what happens to the Ten Commandments? What happens to the laws? We need to understand that Jesus taught extensively of the implication of the New Testament and the laws in the New Testament as regards believers. We are not left in the dark understanding the place of laws in the New Testament. We're not left in the dark. It is explicit in the scriptures. Everyone who violated the laws in the Old Testament, many of us remember Deuteronomy chapter 28. Do we remember that? If you fail to obey the dictates of the law, after the violation, there will be curses. Is that true? What accompanied the violation of the law in the Old Testament were curses. That's what we saw. And the reason was because when you give laws, there has to be consequences. Without consequences, there is no need to create laws in the first place. Is that true, everybody? 
So the reason why we have some of those curses was to create consequences for the laws that have been made. Please, I want us to follow tonight. The old covenant laws were meant to keep Israel in the covenant of God. They were meant for the people of God to understand the promise of God, that the promises of God usually come with conditions. But I'm glad to announce to us tonight, Jesus, in the book of Matthew chapter 5, was referring to the laws in the Old Testament. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, he says, I have not come to destroy the law, but I have come, the law and the prophet, but rather I have come to fulfill it. Very critical sentence. Very critical. I have not come to destroy the law, but rather I have come that it may be fulfilled. That is Matthew chapter 5 in verse 17. I'm going to read again. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, verse 18, I said to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one title will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. So what is the implication of the New Testament? How is it that even though we have a new covenant that is based on a better promise, how is it that the law is still in effect today? I'm going to explain all of this in a moment. Tonight, I want us to know that in the book of Leviticus, God gave list of laws to the people of Israel. That's one of the reasons why many of us don't like to read Leviticus, because it's boring. They were told not to eat certain animals, and you keep reading those things and say, what does this supposed to mean? What am I doing here reading this? But my advice is when you go back to read the book of Hebrews and come back to Leviticus, Leviticus comes out to you. Because actually, the old is new concealed. And the new is old revealed. So what happened is that Leviticus becomes real when we read the book of Hebrews. Because there we see the interaction between the old and the new. But Jesus said here in Matthew chapter 5 verse 17, the reason why I came is not to destroy the Lord. Don't forget the experiences of Jesus before now. There were people who had been inducted and indoctrinated into the laws of Moses, the Mosaic law. And those men were Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of these men, they, are, they, they had their own position in the days of Jesus. And Jesus said they were threatened, thinking that Jesus' appearance was to destroy the law. But Jesus said, I did not come to destroy the law, but rather to fulfill it. What is the meaning of the word fulfill? I'll give us a few definitions. To fulfill means to accomplish. To fulfill means to carry into effect. To fulfill means to satisfy the requirements. To fulfill means to bring to a finish or a completion. That means what we have read of all the laws were waiting in anticipation for Jesus. I don't know if it makes sense to you. The law in itself actually was meant to point the people not to written codes, but to one man. That in him, the law was fulfilled. Not in do's and the don'ts that we saw in the book of Leviticus, but rather in him, 
it was all together fulfilled. Let me quickly go to a few of the laws. How many of us remember, I think I wrote a couple of them down. There is what they call the law. Let me say this before I mention some of those laws. Maybe for our own study when we get back home. Some of the laws in the Old Testament have been abolished in the New Testament. And some have been perfected in the New Testament. I'm going to read a couple of them. Some of those laws have been perfected. And let me look at it. The law of sacrifices. How many of us know that in the Old Testament, for you to be accepted by God, you must offer sacrifices, killing lambs, and offering their blood every time that you have committed sin. And it was meant to atone for the sin of the people. The word atone means to cover. It was not to wipe away. So the sacrifices that were made by the blood of, the blood of animal was to cover the sin of the people for a period of time. After some time, it will be lifted again. And the sin will haunt the people. Sin has the ability to haunt. Sin has the ability to condemn. Sin has the ability to lead the people on a good trip. And this was such the experience of many of those men in the Old Testament. So Jesus came. He did not come to atone. He came as a propitiation, as an obliterator. He obliterated what has been damaged. So Jesus did not cover sin. Jesus wiped it out as though it has not been committed before. Many of us that are here tonight, if you have accepted Jesus as the Lord and Savior, what I am saying to you tonight is that when God looks at you, it's as if you have never done any wrong before in the past. Your sin has been totally forgiven. The Bible tells us as the east is far from the west, as it taken our iniquities away from us. That's the power of the gospel. There is a law on offering. How many of us in the Old Testament, you do not come into the temple empty-handed. You never try. <laughs> you don't. That law has been perfected. It was not abolished, but it's perfected. Now, not in the sense of a curse, not in the sense of judgment, but in the sense of worship. I don't know where we're getting it. It is in the sense of worship. I brought my gift as a worship. Not in the sense of guilt. Not in the sense of condemnation. Not in the sense of destruction if I don't do it. No. It is a sense of love and worship. If you love, you will give. If you love, you will bring. That's exactly the difference. It's been perfected. That is the law of restitution. When something is stolen, it has to be restituted. The same thing has been perfected in the New Testament. That's why we walk up to God today to tell him. That's what happened to the man that I mentioned last week. You remember his name Zacchaeus. He came to Jesus. He said, Jesus, before Jesus said a single word, everything that I took wrongly from people, I will restore. Now, let me say this to us. Before men restituted in the, in the Old Testament, they had to be told that when you steal, the repercussion of your stealing is this. And in part of the repercussion is that you have to make restitution return in sevenfold back to where you have taken it. Now, let me say this to us. In the New Testament, because the law has been perfected, nobody sometimes tells you about restitution. But because of the spirit that lives on the inside of you, immediately you commit your heart to the Lord. There is a divine compulsion inside you to reconcile with every man. Not in the sense of compassion, but in the sense of love and of worship and of relationship. There is a law on divorce. In the Old Testament, 
It was a lot easier for those men to divorce their wives. If the man, woman does something you don't like, you just say, no problem. I get a lot of divorcement from the priest. This is your paper. From today, that's the door. <laughs> you can go on your way. <laughs> they get letters of divorcement. When Jesus came, he said in the beginning, it was not so. What a great opportunity. Isn't that amazing? He said in the beginning, it was not so. Because they asked him, if a man divorces his wife, if a man wants to do in the laws of Moses, he told us that a man can divorce his wife by getting love divorced. Jesus said, the reason is because of the hardness of the hearts of the people. For them not to kill the woman, because they're angry. He said, you know what? Get a paper. Tell her to go at least be in peace. And let her return in one piece before you kill her. So send her back to her parents. Then she can regather and you know, reorganize her life. That there's a law of divorcement. How many of us also know there were laws that were laws of food? Many of us would not like those laws. Because if we read some of those laws, you will never eat meat. Is that not true? Some of those laws, there were certain things that were forbidden in the whole testament. There were food, there were meats you must never touch. Your drawing nearer to those meats contaminates you and makes you unqualified to be before God. But in the New Testament, you remember one of the times Paul was asked about the issue. He said, let no man judge you with regards to what you eat or what you do not eat in terms of meat, either the ones that were sacrificed to idols or not. Let no man judge you. It's a little different. Because in the Old Testament, if you do certain things, you pay dearly for it. You do not dare come near a swine. As a Jew, you condemn. You declare unclean. That was what many of the Pharisees understood. And when they walk in the street, I'm going to read some of those stuff. When they walk in the street, they have a sense of purity that was basically on the outward, but not on the inside. They will never interact with anyone that is not part of the Jews because interacting with a Samaritan makes you unqualified and makes you unclean. That was one of the reasons why when Jesus went into the house of the tax collectors, they said, how is it that this man that said he's from God has gone into the house of sinners? What is he doing there? The reason is very simple. Because you are not considered, if you are a priest and a Jew, to interact with those who are not of the same race with you. But when Jesus came, there is no race or creed. Neither Jews nor Greek. We all are the same before the living God. He has broken the middle wall of partition. Those of us who are called no people, he has made his own people. The book of Hosea says, now we were forgotten. We are, we are away from the covenant of God. We are aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, he has made us to be his own people. We have been made to sit together with him in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Now I am not just a child of God. I have the same right like anyone to stand before God and to stand righteous before him. I'm saying this tonight for us to understand where we're coming from. That what we're reading tonight is very critical to living your life as a believer. Who are you? Where did you come from? What is the implication of the laws that we read? How does that impact our lives today as believers? How do I live constantly on a daily basis, living before God, having my life settled on the truth because I understand the covenant that has been made for me and the laws that are now being perfected to Christ? 
Under the law that we read of. It's the law of revenge. Do we remember? I'm going to read that from the book of Matthew chapter 5. This is what Jesus taught the people. The book of Matthew chapter 5. The Bible says, in verse 38, you have heard that it was said. Anytime you read the word, you have heard that it was said. That's the law. You have heard that it was said. And high for an high, and a tooth for a tooth. Jesus said, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you, take and take your tunic. Let him have your cloak also. Whoever compels you to go one might go with them too. Isn't this amazing? Jesus is saying, you already heard about the law of revenge. The law of revenge is an eye for an eye. A tooth for a tooth. You hurt me, I got to hurt you back. You've done something to me, I have to do something to revenge. Jesus said, there is a new law that has been instituted. When your enemy hates you, bring them closer to your side. This is completely different from what we knew before. And that's why there are many of us who are still in the church today who are operating by the same law. The whole law. And I've seen Christians say it's an eye for an eye. It is not true. That law was true, but it's been perfected. And that brings me to a point that I'm going to say before going to the other laws, that we need to understand the power of the new law. And I'm going to say it this way. In Leviticus, there are laws. Some of those laws have been abolished, but some have been upgraded from the flesh to the spirit. If, you know, you remember, however, there is a higher law that came with the new covenant. In the higher law, there are certain standards that are expected of God's people. I have had people many times say to me that we're under grace and we're not under the law. They're making a mistake. The mistake they're making is that the grace comes with a higher responsibility. The power of a higher law is in this sense. You had laws, you had do's and don'ts, but many of those laws were difficult for people to obey because the capacity to do it was not given. The law showed them what was wrong, but did not show them how to get out of it. But when Jesus came, when he went to the cross, he died in your place, he died in my place, he took my guilt upon him, he took my sin upon him. And you know what he did? He said, well, now you have received the grace and the ability to do what you couldn't do otherwise. Now what we consider impossible now has been made possible by the grace of God that's made available for us. Now let's understand this. That grace is not an excuse to commit sin. Grace places on us a demand. The demand on us is higher than the demand on many of those men in the Old Testament. The demand that were placed on us are so weighty. It will take us to say, Lord, I rely on you. I cannot do it by myself. It is your grace that will walk me through this. And that's one of the interesting and intriguing parts of the gospel. The gospel is to stop men from trying to please God. The gospel is for men to come to God and say, God, I'm helpless, but your grace can be available for me. I'm helpless, 
I cannot do it because grace is not of the flesh. Grace is a spiritual thing. Grace initiates and increases the strength of the inner man to be able to please God. No man can please God in the flesh. Every attempt of man to please God in the flesh will fail. And that's why every religion today that has been instituted by man, everything that's been done in those religions, rather will keep men in captivity because it was an attempt of man trying to reach out to God. But grace is the attempt of God saying, I have found my people. They have no strength. They have no power. They have no capacity. Without me, they can do nothing. But I'm going to reach down to them. The Bible says, why we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us. This is the beauty of the gospel. I wrote down here. The New Testament came with a higher law to replace, to repair, and to restore certain former laws. Jesus said to us, I did not come to destroy the law, but rather to fulfill it. In other words, to make it complete. The law in itself was insufficient in making man please God. It was incapable in sustaining man to become, you know, God's adequate people. It was impossible. And because of that reason, Jesus had to pay the ultimate price. I mean, I must remember the law of the Sabbath. The law of the Sabbath was every Friday sunset to Saturday sunset, men were supposed to dedicate a day to sacrifice, to wait, and to rest, doing nothing because it was considered the Lord's Sabbath. And you dare not break the Sabbath. That was why when Jesus was walking through the street of Jerusalem, and on the Sabbath, he healed a man. And they came, they said, uh-uh, we've seen it all. We know the laws of God. That on the Sabbath, every man must rest. And they came, and they said to Jesus, how is it that today is Sabbath and you have healed a man on the Sabbath? And Jesus said, who is greater, the Sabbath or the man? The Sabbath was, the man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath for the man. Do we see that? The Sabbath was not made for the man, but the man, sorry, the man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath for the man. It was instituted for man to have time of rest. Therefore, this son of Abraham shall not be healed on today. Who among you will lose his sheep on the Sabbath? Will not go after it. How is it that the life of a sheep is more important than the life of humans? And Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath. You know what I found out? Many of them did not understand that the Sabbath has been perfected. Sabbath was perfected in Jesus. That's why the book of Hebrews chapter 4 says, for there remained rest for the people of God. The true rest is not just in a day. The true rest is in one man. The true rest is in Christ. When you find him, you find rest. No wonder the book of Matthew, the Bible says, he, he that labor and heavy laden, and he will come to me, and he will find rest for his soul. You can never find rest until you find Jesus. The true rest is in Jesus. It's been perfected in Jesus. In fact, one of our Bible studies I mentioned to all of us that were attending that for me today, God is not just looking at Sabbath in terms of one day. Your every day should be a Sabbath to the Lord. Hallelujah. Your every day should be a what? A Sabbath to the Lord. The Bible says pray without ceasing. Every day should be a Sabbath, a time that you consecrate yourself to the Lord. 
And even further still, you can take days of the week and say, Lord, all I want to just do today is just bless you. It's to tell you how great you are. It's to tell you how wonderful you are. And we can spend day and night asking God, I'm spending today just to worship, just to tell you how great and how wonderful you've been. The Sabbath. I know these are not things that we see every time, but it's important that I mention this. Laws in the Old Testament were governed in the flesh by do's and don'ts. But laws in the New Testament are governed in the spirit. One law was written in the tablets that men could read. Today's law in the New Testament is not written on tablets. It's written in the hearts of men. A day shall come when the Lord shall write his laws in the hearts of men. No one shall teach his neighbor nor the law, for they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. The laws will be written in the hearts of men. In those days, if you know the high priest, many of us have seen some of those pictures before. They had breastplates in their, on their chest. And on those plates, you have the laws of God. Each time you see an eye, you say, ah, okay, you must not do this. Then you go back. But the Bible is saying, you don't need to write it on a breastplate. I am going to imprint it on the hearts of men. No one would teach his more to know the law. They would know me from the least to the greatest. The power to do, the power to accomplish will come upon man. Because now the law is being written in the heart. That's why what makes a man pure is not what comes from the heart, but what comes from the inside. Jesus said, out of the heart, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know, what is on the inside of you? What is the law of God written in your heart? Tonight, I'm going to itemize in a moment because I know we don't have all the time. Before I itemize, I want us to take a look at Matthew chapter 5. Let's see what Jesus said. In verse 19 of Matthew chapter 5, whoever therefore breaks one of the least of the commandment and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom. This is Jesus teaching. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of, God, of heaven. Do we understand it? Jesus is saying that the Pharisees were living by certain degrees of righteousness, but I have come to give you another type of righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Many of the Pharisees, their laws and their righteousness were based on how men saw them. They, they, they go out with flat, you know, uh, with big, you know, garments and flat trees so that men can know that these are the Pharisees. They went out to pray in the open spaces so that men would know how much they could pray. Each time they fasted, they wore long faces. They would never put anything on themselves so that men would know how much they could fast. Those were the Pharisees. And Jesus said to them, many of you have cleaned the outside part of the cup, but the inside is dirty. In other words, the righteousness was based on what men could see. And to receive the accolades and the praise of men, Jesus said the true righteousness must exceed that. It must be something of the spirit. It must be solely to please the Father, and that is it. 
except it exceeds that of the Pharisees. Let me quickly mention a couple of those laws to us. Let me read verse 27. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said. I told you when you, hear, you have heard it was said. It means the whole laws. To those of old, you shall not commit adultery. In verse 28, Jesus said, but I said to you, that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? He said, in the Old Testament, the laws were great. But he said, today, that law has been perfected. Before you have to commit adultery to be considered an adulterous man. But the Bible says today, you don't have to do it. If you see it and you commit adultery in your heart, you're already guilty of the same. You know, this is what annoyed the Pharisees. Why? Because they thought the people, they hold, they do not understand the power of the new. That the new has nothing to do with the flesh. The new has everything to do with the spirit. And Jesus said, it's even a greater law. It's a higher law. It's a law with a higher responsibility. It's a law with a higher demand. Because in the Old Testament, all you need to do is to protect yourself and not commit adultery. But Jesus said, if you ever try and look and commit lust in your heart, you are considered an adulteress. Hallelujah. And then wait for them. The Bible says in verse 43, you have heard it said that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. Is that not what is written there? Jesus, but I said to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. It sends rain on the just and the unjust. If you love those who love you, what reward have you? He said, do not even the tax collector do the same? If you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collector do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect. Do we see that? It says, it was considered, it was said. Love your neighbors, but hate your enemies. But Jesus said, even today, love your enemies and bless them. Do not curse them. Does that sound something familiar? I've said it here before. That in many of our practices, I have seen believers, even today, cursing people. Jesus said, it is not right for you to curse your enemies. In fact, he says, love your enemies. Why did he say that? Through that, you are demonstrating to the world that you have your father, who is in heaven who brings the sun and sends rain upon the righteous and also upon those who are not righteous and the wicked. That is a greater law. That is a far higher law. Why is this critical tonight? Why do I have to say this tonight? Romans chapter 8. This is one of the reasons why. Lord, will have me to share this with you. Romans chapter 8. I want everybody to open to it. Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read the first two verses. Romans chapter 8. Glory to God tonight. Romans chapter 8. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 8 in verses 1 and 2. This is what the scripture says. There is therefore, I want everybody in the house to read with me. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. 
who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Hallelujah to Jesus. There is the law of, the, of sin and death. There is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The Bible says here, there is the law of the spirit of life. But you see, the law of the spirit of life took effect by undermining, by destroying the power of the law of sin and death. Don't forget where we started from. In Romans chapter 7, Paul said, the things I will, I do not. That which I will not, I do. Why? Because of the law of sin in my members. But thanks be to God for the grace of God that was made manifest in me. What was that supposed to mean? I have a few things to tell us tonight. Immediately you committed your heart to the Lord Jesus. You may not see it. The power, the dominion, the, the authority of sin over your life has been broken. I say it again. The power, the dominion, and the authority of sin over your life has been broken. Immediately you release your heart to the Lord Jesus. The power of God comes upon you. And the dominion of sin is broken. Romans chapter 6 verse 14. I'm going to read right away. Romans 6 14. This is what it says. It says in verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. You know what it means to have dominion? is to have a grip over man's life. In fact, the, the message, it's another version that I have. It says, sin shall not have rulership over you. It says, sin shall not count its vote on you. That's another version. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Sin's power has been broken. The grip of sin has been destroyed. How is it today that believers do not comprehend and understand that really when I stand as a child of God, when God looks at me, he has given to me sufficient grace to ride and to rule over the power of sin and of the flesh. Sin shall not have dominion over me. Whatever has been dominating our lives before now, understanding the power of grace and the law of the spirit of life. The law of the spirit of life gives capacity to human man. The law of the spirit liberates us. The law of the spirit took us out of the dungeon, presented us to God, and said, this is God's, these are God's people. They are pure and they are righteous. That is the power of the law of the spirit of life. That's why the Bible says, there is therefore now no condemnation. Because the intent and the power of this law of sin and death is to condemn. Is to condemn. And many have been subject to condemnation day and night because we do not understand the power of the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. I want us to say to yourself tonight, I've been made free. By the law of the spirit of life. I have been set free from the control, from the grip, from the dominion of sin. I have been liberated by the power of God. The law of the spirit of life 
is working in me, creating in me a desire to love God, a desire to do his will, a desire to fulfill his counsel. I shall not be brought under anymore. Sin, you shall not have dominion over me. I am free from your influences. I am free from your attacks. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I belong to Christ. I am of God. I am not condemned. I am free from condemnation. I stand today as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Glory to God. Number two. The law of the spirit of life came along with what we call the perfect law of liberty. James chapter 1. The Bible says, whoever looks into the perfect law of liberty, he be not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. The same man shall be successful in all his deeds. What is the scripture saying? Tonight, believers, the reason why many of us experience failure is that we're delivered, we're set free by the law of the spirit of life, but we do not continually activate that through the perfect law of liberty. The closer we are to God in his word, the more renewed our minds become. What happens to many of us, our spirit was delivered, but our mind was still tied to the old lifestyle. Our languages have not changed. What happened is this. The law of the spirit of life, the, law of the perfect law of liberty will change your language. The, the perfect law of liberty will change the way you think will make us to see the way God sees us. The law, the perfect law of liberty, creates confidence in us instead of failure and condemnation. That's why I'm enjoying everyone tonight. After tonight, what will give power, what will enhance the law of the spirit of life is the perfect law of liberty. Give the perfect law of liberty its place in your life. Continually study your liberty. Everyone that is brought into freedom must study why they're in freedom. You must study your rights. You must know why you are free and how you are free. And do not allow the enemy to bring you under condemnation anymore. Number two, the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the hold of sickness and death. We do not have any part to do with spiritual death anymore. But also, God has given to us the power to live well. I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in earth as your soul prospers. If your soul truly prospers, then you should begin to live in the reality of the new creation and walking without the effect of the power of sickness over our lives. The enemy will try to attack us, but we have the authority to stand and say, Lord, I am healed. I am delivered. There is no place for sickness in my body. I am the, I'm the resurrected. I have a resurrected body of the Lord. God has given me victory and freedom over the power of sickness and disease. Let's rise up to pray tonight. The perfect law, the higher law. There is a higher law that is working in our system. Now, if you're here tonight, you have not made a personal decision to come to Jesus in the past. I want us to know tonight, the law of sin and death is powerful. Brings men under curse. Brings men under condemnation. Brings them in, into all sorts of manifestation. But tonight if we say, Jesus, let's close our eyes. Come into my heart tonight. If you ask Jesus to come into your heart tonight, you have never known Jesus before. If you ask him to come into your heart tonight, the Lord 
will set you free. It will bring you into an experience of an experience that will last for the rest of your life. An experience that will transform you literally from the bondage of sin and bring you into the liberty of Christ. If you have not accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, I'd like you to lay your hands on your heart. And I'm going to pray with you tonight. If you're here, you want to say, Jesus, come into my heart tonight. I want to accept you as my Lord and Savior. I want you to be my Lord tonight. I want you to lift your hands and place it on your heart, and I'm going to pray for you. Father, tonight, yes, Lord, tonight, we just thank you. If you're a believer, you just begin to pray. Just begin to speak to the Lord tonight. Just begin to ask the Lord to give you more understanding of your liberty in Christ. I want us to begin to ask the Lord to continually expand the coast of our knowledge of what we know of our freedom in Christ. That indeed, we have passed from death unto life. I want us to begin to speak to them and say, Lord, I thank you for the grace you've given to me. I thank you for the power of, of grace. Thank you for the higher law. With a higher demand, with a higher responsibility. But your word also tells me, Lord, that you have given me grace. Where sin abounds, grace did much more abound. Yes, Lord, tonight. Thank you, Lord Jesus, tonight. Thank you, Lord Jesus, tonight. Thank you, Lord Jesus, tonight. In Jesus' precious name, we have prayed. We're going to pray tonight. Lord, the law of the spirit of life is working in me. Did you hear what I said? The law of the spirit of life is working in me. Therefore, therefore, let no sin have dominion over me from today. Let no sin have dominion. If you have been struggling with certain habits in your life, there is a particular habit you've been trying to get over it. I want to say tonight, the law of the spirit of life is working in me. It's working in me. It's working in me. I activate the law of the spirit of life. I activate the law of the spirit of life. The power of sin is broken. The power of bad habits is broken. It's broken. See, you cannot have dominion over me. You cannot control me. You cannot hold me bound. You cannot grip my life. I am free from your influences. Every word that is not of God. Even in language, every habit, every lifestyle that is not of God from tonight. I say you have no more control over my life. I am free from your influences. In the name of Jesus, I'm set free on every side. In the name of Jesus, the law of the spirit of life is working in me. Setting me free to experience liberty in all my life. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' precious name, we have prayed. We're going to pray the last prayer tonight. And say from tonight, from tonight, Every bondage around my life is broken. Every bondage is broken. Every bondage is broken. Because I've been made free. I assert my freedom tonight. I attain my freedom tonight. Every bondage in my system, every bondage of sickness and disease, I assert my authority tonight. The Bible says it was wounded for my trans it was wounded for my iniquity. It was it was wounded for my trans it was bruised for my iniquity. The chastisement of my peace was upon him. By his stripes I am healed. He himself took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses. By his stripes I am healed. I am healed. I am healed. I am healed. If the enemy had placed a curse of poverty over our families, over our lives, we can begin to break it tonight. No place for poverty over my life. Jesus purchased life abundant for me. Therefore, in the name of Jesus, every hold of curses, 
generational curse, self-inflicted curses. We break them tonight in the name of Jesus. We break free tonight. We decree freedom in this place tonight. We decree freedom in this place tonight. Therefore, now, there is no more condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. No more condemnation. I am free from the influences of the world. I am free from the influences of the flesh. I am free from the dominion of the devil. I am free from the forces of hell. Raise swear with my soul. Yes, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' precious name, we have prayed. Father, we thank you tonight. Lord, we know what you're saying to your church. We're applying our hearts to it. The knowledge is critical to freedom. Tonight, we've struggled with condemnation many times. Because many of us have been kept under the grip and the dominion of the enemy by the thought of our minds. We gave our lives to Christ, but we're wondering, is it real? But tonight, your word tells us it is real. Your word tells us grace was made available. Your word tells us that the mercy of God, we tear from us the judgment of God. Therefore, tonight, we lift our hearts to you. That everyone in this place tonight, we came here tonight expecting. We're leaving this place tonight. Lord, going with the bundles of divine knowledge. That as we go back home, Lord, we will assert our right in the spirit. That indeed, we have been made free. The enemy cannot keep us in the bondage of the past. In the name of Jesus. Perhaps he whom the Son has set free is free indeed. We've come tonight to say that we're free indeed. We're free indeed. We're free indeed. We're free from bad habits. We're free from old lifestyle. We're free from the dominion of sin. We're free from the dominion of the world. We're free from the dominion of the flesh. We're free. We're the righteousness of God in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, tonight. We give you glory for the higher laws. Blessed be your name, Father, tonight. We worship and adore you. We glorify your name tonight in Jesus' precious name. We have prayed.